I'm going to get into this message God's given me. And uh, I'm preaching one more week this weekend on the promises of God. And over the last few weeks as we've been talking about this, I've just been so stirred up and so blessed uh, by the amazing, awesome promises of God in Scripture. And so we learned a few weeks ago that uh, in Scripture there are 7,487 promises of God to us in His Word. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all, could you all say all? all? They are all yes for us in Christ Jesus. And so we looked at Psalm 91 a few weeks ago. There's 26 promises just in those 16 verses alone. By the way, if you missed that, there's a, there's a prayer on our website, freepeople.church slash pray. If you go to that URL slash pray, there's a Psalm 91 personalized prayer. That is, an, if you're new to praying or if, if you just want to try something new in prayer, that is an amazing prayer to pray over yourself and it's personalized for you and your family. So go check that out. Um, last week, uh, we talked about how not only the Apostle Paul spoke about the promises of God, but so did Peter. In 1 Peter 1, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, through the promises of God, we might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And I talked about how last week, the best invitation that you will ever receive in your life is this right here, to participate in the divine nature of God. It reminded me of this quote from C.S. Lewis, very famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. When it comes to the word of God and when it comes to his promises, I'm telling you as Christians, we're far too easily pleased. We look around at the culture around us, and I'm not talking about worldly culture. We look at Christian culture, and we go, that's what it means to be a Christian. And we just fit right in, and we just do what everybody else does, and we get the same results everyone else gets, and we live the way they do. And we don't, to be honest, we don't expect much from God. We just kind of hope our, to live a nice little life, and we, and we hope that we get to go to heaven at the end. And that's about it. And the Lord wants you tonight to know you're far too easily pleased. He wants you to stop settling for the status quo. He wants us to stop settling for status quo Christianity. And I want you to know you came into a church tonight. We are, we are not a church of settlers. You came into a pioneering church, and you came into a church tonight that is a family of pioneers. And like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, we want to press on 
in knowing Jesus, to press on, to take hold of that for which he has taken hold of us. And Paul's talking about the fullness of that. He says in Philippians 3, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Now, Paul knows Jesus, right? At this point, he's known him for 30 years. He's been planting churches all over the world. He's starting to write letters that will become the New Testament of the Bible, right? If you guys could talk tonight, it would really make me feel a lot less insecure and like there's not an empty void out there. All right. He's known Christ for a very long time. He says he's lost all things for this sake of knowing him. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you to remember that right there. That's what the gospel is. It's a righteousness not by your own works. You don't do good things to be righteous before God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is before you do anything, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So all you have to do, and if you are sincere, is do what Rob did tonight. I want it. I'm giving Jesus my life, and I want his life. My life for his life. And you say that prayer, and you make that agreement, and you come into covenant, and guess what? You are considered righteous before the Lord. You get the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Your spirit conceives with the Holy Spirit. You get reborn, so your spirit is sanctified, but then your Soul, which is mind, will, mind, will, and emotions. That's like your heart and your mind. It's not sanctified yet. You start a process where you're walking with Jesus and you become more and more like him. But because of that new creation in you, the grace of God in you, Holy Spirit in you, he makes you more like him. And you're able to become more like him. And so your soul and definitely your body is not sanctified. And so you begin this process of working out your Salvation with fear and trembling. Working out, living in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. And so our, our righteousness is not through what we do, it's through Jesus. But listen to what Paul says next. I want to know Christ. It's like, hold up, I thought you know him. He's like, yeah, but there's more. <laughs> there's more. You know, when you're dating someone, you... Get to know them, you know their name, you know their parents, you know their background, you know where they went to school, you know what they graduated with, you know if they didn't graduate, you know if they, what kind of job they have, you know them. Okay, there's a lot more to get to know about them. And God is infinite, so there's a whole lot more to know about him, right? And to just know of him, and to know with him. So he says, I want to know Christ. He's known him for at least probably... 25, 30 years at this point, but he's saying, I want to know him more as the implication. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And this is the part we don't like to preach about in America. The participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says. He's like, I have not fully, here's what he's saying. I've not fully taken hold of all that Jesus died for me to be able to take hold of. Yet. Or not that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is like this, I don't know what to call it. It's a spirit of, of like dejection and depression where you hear, well, the Apostle Paul after 30 years, he, and he wrote, he's, he's the Apostle Paul and he's known Jesus for 30 years. He hasn't taken hold of it. I'm never going to get there. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try. So you, you compare yourself to Paul and you feel like you can't get there. He hasn't even gotten there after 30 years. That's not the bent of this scripture. The bent is, here's this man who has taken hold of so much of the promises of God. And he's still, at the, towards the end of his life, still pressing on. There's always more. We're never done. We're never finished. Don't settle. And maybe, maybe the truth is, your potential in Christ is not where the Apostle Paul was at. Right? That's okay. But there's always more. And so the Lord does not want us to be settlers and to settle for less and to settle for the status quo tonight or ever. He wants us to keep pressing on, to take hold of that for which Jesus has taken hold of us. How many of you know you have a calling in life? So you, you're not saved by good works. You get saved to do good works for Jesus. That's your kingdom purpose. Now, some of those good works you do, they will help other people get saved and know Jesus. And if you don't do your part in the kingdom, there will be some people who won't come to know him because you didn't do your part. And you will get to go to heaven and they will miss out. How important is your role? Everyone's role, everyone's calling is important. You have a calling. And there is a reward from God when you fulfill your calling. And scripture talks about the, receiving the full reward in heaven. John Revere wrote a whole book about it called, um, gosh, what's that book? Eternity, Driven by Eternity. Driven by Eternity, phenomenal book about eternal judgment, but also eternal reward. And the Apostle Paul talks about you can escape through your life if you build with wood, hay, and straw and the way you live your life. Your, the work of your life, the good works you did, it'll be burned up. And you will escape into heaven as ones escaping through the flames of your life with your whole life burning down around you. I don't want to get into heaven that way. Like with my hellish life burning down behind me and I said a prayer right before I passed and so, woo, I got in. <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. God wants us to build he wants us to do our calling for him to help bring other people into the kingdom. So we build the kingdom of God here and we step into the kingdom of heaven with this rich reward because we've done his will. Paul says, what is my joy and my crown when I get to heaven but you? All these people he's helped come to know Christ. 
And he's going to be able to be in heaven and be like, this is, this is the glory of my life on the earth, was, bringing, was changing the landscape of heaven, depopulating hell. God wants us to stop settling. You have a calling. It's important. And he wants us to take him at his word. And his word is so good. There's 7,487 promises if we'll just believe him for it. So I want to spend the rest of our time tonight looking at the amazing promises in Psalm 34. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at Psalm 34 tonight. And I'm going to read all but like the last couple verses because I really want to focus on the promises. This was written by David. Psalm 34, I'm going to just read through it. We're going to talk about it as we go. (sighs) Well, before we do that, let me ask you this question. Let Let me just set this up. I'll just tell you in advance what the Lord is promising you in Psalm 34. We're going to read this verse at the end that says the righteous people. Now, we know that's not people who do good. That's people who've come to believe in Jesus. We've established that. The righteous people who know God, they have many troubles, just like the world. But the Lord delivers them from them all. So so let's just push pause before we dive into the word. And just let me ask you this question. So you're going to have trouble in life. We're all going to have trouble. Wisdom helps us live in such a way to minimize the trouble in our lives. Amen. That's what wisdom is for. So we want to live in wisdom. No matter what trouble you get into in life, though, what would it look like for you to know whenever trouble is coming? Trouble going to come. That's an old song, right? Trouble going to come. When it comes, what would it look like for you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, whatever this trouble is, he's getting me out of it. Now, it doesn't say if, unless you got yourself into that trouble. There's no qualifier on this. It doesn't say unless you deserve that trouble. It says, if you get into trouble as a believer in Jesus, he's going to deliver you from all of it. That's the promise. So think about all the types of trouble you could have in your life. You could have the loss of loved ones. That's trouble. You could have financial loss, job loss. That's trouble. The car breaks down at the most inopportune time, and then you find out it's not something small. That's trouble. How many of you had weeks where, like, one of those happened, all of those happened in the same week, right? That's trouble. (laughs) How many of you have made a bad decision at some point, and you're just like, oh, I'll just do this? And it ends up snowballing and this catastrophic thing happens in your life that you never meant or intended. And you're like, how? And and I've sat in so many prayer sessions and people say, I just don't know how I got to this place. It started so small. It started with these little things. and, And I'm just like, how did I get here? How is my life like this? But here's the promise, church. The Lord promises to deliver you from all trouble, all trouble. All trouble. So what would that look like? That's a pretty amazing promise. So let's read about it. David says, verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Now listen, David is 
thinking about this time in his life when he was in deep, deep trouble and God got him out of it. In fact, there's a little footnote in your Bible that says this psalm was written uh, when David pretended to be insane before King Abimelech. So you want to talk about trouble. And you want to talk about a guy who at this point in his life had never done anything quote unquote wrong. He, you know, he'd probably done some little things wrong, but nothing big. This was a good kid, so to speak. Loved God, loved his family, always made the right decisions. He killed Goliath, won this amazing victory, became a a captain in the army, won all these battles. And the king was just simply jealous of him. So he decided to try to kill him. And he accused David of trying to kill him which was actually the exact opposite is what was happening. David had done nothing wrong. And so because the king says, this guy's trying to kill me, false accusation, but it was the king, so everybody believed him. Now David's on the run. He loses his job. He loses his place in the army. He was married to the king's daughter. He lost his wife. They gave her to another man. He became homeless for several years, purely through false accusation. And he's on the run and he's trying to seek refuge in other countries because they're, the whole country is like, like America's Most Wanted. Remember that TV show? And, you know, you used to find out who's on the list, right? Well, the whole nation is aware. They're going after these top 10 guys. David was number one and it was all bogus. So he has to leave the country. You want to talk about trouble. And then he gets before this king and he realizes this king knows David was a famous warrior. So all the other kings were like, oh, he's a spy. They sent him over here to spy. So Abimelech's probably going to try to kill David. And David realizes this. So David pretends to be insane. And it says he, and he lets spit run down his beard, it says. And Abimelech's like, get this fool out of my, I've got enough crazy people in my kingdom. Get this guy out of here. And he just, because he thinks he's crazy, thinks he's not a threat. And so he sends him away. And that saved David's life. Acting like an idiot, pretending to be insane. But David knows it wasn't just that. God got me out of this. God got me out of this trouble. And so David's thinking about this. He's thinking about that whole situation. All this trouble he's been in for no good reason. He didn't deserve it. And he's praise, He's writing this song of praise. I'm going to praise God at all times. I will glory in the Lord. And he says this, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. If you're afflicted tonight, if you have trouble in your life, you need to hear the word of God from a man of God who's been in some trouble. And you're hearing it from me. And I'm talking about David, but I'm going to tell you, I've been arrested. I've been put in jail. That's not part of my testimony I tell very often. I saw some eyebrows go up. You thought I meant recently. No, I'm talking a while back. But you're hearing from two men of God tonight who know what it is to be in trouble. David and me. So he says, if you're afflicted, you need to hear and you need to rejoice because of what I'm about to tell you tonight. Glorify the Lord with me. In fact, let's sing a praise song together. He's saying, let us exalt his name together. And here's why. The rest of the psalm, he's like, I'm going to tell you why we should be singing the praise of God. Because I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
God delivers, promises to deliver you from all trouble. But here's the condition. We've been talking about conditions. The promises are conditional. Here's the condition. You pray and you ask. Now listen, God is gracious and there is prevenient grace. Prevenient means it goes before, like before you knew to ask God or to ask God to help you before you even knew God, there was a prevenient grace that was drawing you to him and leading you to Christ. And, and man, when I was in those years where I was partying and doing a lot of bad things that ended me up in a jail at one point, <laughs> when I was in that season, I, there was a lot of things that I did that it's like, I should have been dead. I should have been in jail a few more times. You know, I, I should have had worse consequences, to be honest with you. I should have, for real. And I didn't. And I was not seeking the Lord at that time, and I was not living for the Lord at that time. That's just the grace of God was protecting me through that season. There's some people here tonight who should be dead. But the grace of God was like, nope. Eventually, they're going to come to know me, and I'm going to preserve their life even before they ask me. So David says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now, here's how we read the Bible with that spirit of dejection. There it is. That's where I was looking for earlier. Well, this is King David. He's not king yet, by the way, but yeah, he's, of course, it's David. He seeks the Lord and the Lord answers him and delivers him from all his fears. But I can't expect God would do that for me. That's how we tend to read the Bible. So this is personal. And that's how we tend to read it. There are people who read about the life of Jesus and go, well, that's Jesus. I mean, he's God. I can't expect to do the things that, that he did, when, except he commands us to do all the things that he did when he was here. So this is personal. Tell your neighbor, though, wait for it. Tell him, wait for it. He's, he's going somewhere with this. He's got to tell his testimony first. He delivered me from all my fears. Now, hold up. I've been talking about God delivering you from all your troubles, David's saying he delivered me from all my fears too. All my fear of trouble. There's some people here tonight who need delivered from fear. <laughs> Verse five, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. He's still telling his own testimony. Again, it's personal, but tell your neighbor, tell your other neighbor, wait for it. Wait for it. He's setting up the promise with a testimony. You have to understand, storytelling is prophetic. Storytelling is prophetic. I can't tell you how many prayer sessions I've sat in and, and I feel this unction to start telling part of my own story in my life. And I start going and I, the, the humble part of me is like, what are you doing? Shut up. This session isn't about you. You're talking too much. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit's like, no, <laughs> you're prophesying. <laughs> what I've done in you, I'm going to do in them. And so you're set, it's a setup. It's a setup. Yes, look at your other neighbor again and tell him it's a setup. Storytelling is prophetic. Testimonies prophesy, listen, to us what God has done for one, 
he will do for you. When you hear a testimony of a healing or a miracle, it's prophesying. God is like, listen, what I have done for one, I will do for you. I feel some hope rising up in the room right now. Revelation 19 verse 10. An angel told John, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's that mean? Telling testimonies, personal testimonies of what God has done. Prophesize. It's prophetic. Storytelling is prophetic. Hey, God did this in my life. That's amazing. What he's done for me, he'll do for you. What he's done for one, he'll do for you. So, David's saying he delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from all my troubles. But he's like, I'm nobody special. I just knew enough to call on God. I'm going to tell you tonight, if you want to see God answer prayer and do miracles in your life, you don't need 100% no doubt confident faith. You don't need that type of faith. You need faith. Faith is required. Jesus said with a mustard seed of faith, though, not a mountain of faith. You don't need a mountain of faith to move mountains. I said this last week, kingdom math is different, right? Kingdom math is different. You just need a mustard seed of faith to move mountains in your life. So what's a mustard seed of faith? It's a glimmer of hope that maybe God's real, maybe he'll hear me. And so I'm going to have enough faith to sincerely ask. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God. Because those who come to him must believe, number one, here's the conditions, he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So God's saying, here's my definition of faith that is required for you to please me, to please God. Believe I exist (laughs) and, and have enough faith to believe that I reward those who earnestly seek me. Another translation says sincerely. And that, I read that this week and it just blessed me. If you believe, will believe God exists and just sincerely from your heart go, Lord, would you please help me? He's like, boom. You've got enough faith to move some mountains in your life. Because you're not the one who moves them. You just open up a, a portal. <laughs> In your life, through which Jesus Christ comes down in his spirit and starts moving the mountains. Verse 7, David goes on. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Holy Spirit's giving him insight. Whoa, all these troubles I've been in, I shouldn't have made it out alive. Oh my goodness, there were angels camping around me, protecting me. And delivering me from trouble. So I had this in my notes for those of you in deliverance ministry on our ministry team. So are angels involved in deliverance ministry then? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think sometimes we're praying for people in deliverance and the angels are the, like the, the bouncers at the bar. you know, <laughs> And they're just like, come on, you're getting out of here. <laughs> They lay hands on them, demons, right? It's awesome. Verse 7, I already read that. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one 
who takes refuge in him. David's like, come on. My, my testimony is wetting your appetite. Would you please just have enough faith to believe God will hear your prayer? You don't have to be this super Christian. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Just believe enough to ask. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Here's a huge promise. If you will truly fear God, you will lack nothing in your life. We talked about God supplying all of our needs last week. But listen, it gets better. Verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord. So if you fear him, you'll lack nothing. But if you seek him, they lack no good thing. What kinds of good things or experiences do you want in your life? What kinds of good things do you want for your kids? What kinds of good experiences do you want for your kids? If you will seek the Lord, you will lack no good thing. Praise God. Verse 11. He says, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He's like, I'm going to teach you this condition of the fear of God. We learned a few weeks ago, probably a month or so ago now, the true fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's being afraid of being away from him. And so because you want to be near him, you don't want to drift. You don't want to fall away. So the the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. I'm going to hate evil. I'm going to stay close to God in my life. Because you can't live like hell and expect heaven to come in your life or on this earth as it is in heaven. Fear God. The fear of God is the hatred of evil. So if you live in the fear of being away from him, hating evil, in that, fear, in that fear, learn to seek God through prayer. Learn to seek. How do you seek God? Through prayer. I'm seeking you, Lord. How do you seek his face? Through prayer. I want to know your presence. That song we sang tonight. Your presence is all I need. And without it, without it, There's no meaning. And that is true. Life is devoid of meaning apart from God. (sighs) Verse 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now listen, this is very important. Your words, my words, our words are very powerful. Proverbs 18, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So here's the deal. You can't pray and ask for blessings or help and then speak unbelief and cursing all day and expect your prayers to be answered. There's a connection between faith and belief and answered prayer. Jesus said, if you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what it was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it'll be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. But as I've said, it's not, you don't have to have this mountain moving faith. It's, it's a mustard seed. If you keep holding on to that mustard seed. James 3, 
talks about this, 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So you're asking God for healing. You're asking God for blessings. You're asking God for provision. But then you're speaking the opposite. You're speaking curses. It doesn't work like that. And, it, and it will, you will negate and nullify what you're asking for. Why is that? Let me explain it to you. If we ask, so let's say you're asking for healing in your body. But then you complain after you've asked, well, it's never going to happen. You know, my body doesn't heal well. You know, I just have bad genetics. Oh, God, heal me. I don't heal well. I have bad genetics. Oh, you know, it's probably, you know, other people get miracles. It's not really going to happen for me. Okay, so you just ask God for a blessing, but then you cursed yourself three times. So here's what happens on a spiritual level, and here's why it doesn't work. Can't God override your curses? He can. He does that from time to time. He just sovereignly goes, I'm just going to heal this one. But I'm saying most of the time, these are the principles of how the kingdom works. When you say those curses, you are making binding agreements with the enemy's mindsets. Those thoughts come from somewhere. And they're not from the Lord or his spirit. So you're making agreements with the enemy. So that's literally... You know, our door, our, our lives, they don't just have one door. We have many doors in our lives, right? And whatever area you're, you know, if you think of your life like a temple or a house, it's got many rooms and those rooms have doors. And so in this area of physical, your physical health or healing, if you're cursing yourself in that way, here's what you're doing. You're unlocking the door and you're opening it and, and you're just like, come on in. And the devil can come in and afflict you and oppress you because of what you gave him permission to do through your binding agreements of your agreeing with his mindsets and with his words. So you don't have to have superhero faith. You just have to have a little bit like a mustard seed. But don't kill your mustard seed with, by pouring salt water on it all the time, by cursing what you've planted in the ground. You can pray and ask and hope with a mustard seed, and in the quiet, listen, in the quietness of your own heart, it is still okay to wrestle and go, man, I'm not sure. I hope so. I hope this is going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure how God's going to respond. We all wrestle with those things in our hearts. What I'm saying is don't start speaking that out and especially don't start saying things like, no, it's not going to happen. That's actually a statement of faith too. But I would contend it's faith in the wrong. Oh, so you know the will and the heart of God so well that you know he is going to say no. You've sought him so much that like the apostle Paul, he said, After three times seeking God, the Holy Spirit explicitly said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer in your life. 
And I have literally heard some people look at me and go, listen, would you please stop praying for me or for my loved one? Because we all know it's not going to happen. And I just go, and I'm thinking, we all don't know that. <laughs> You're saying that. And, and I just be gracious. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And I think I will intercede and I will pray, but I will stop praying for you in person if that's what you want. Yes. But I also know that these times that I've experienced that, those people have not sought the heart of God so much that the Lord told them this will not happen. So they've made an agreement there. So again, you don't, it's not, you don't have to have the superhero faith. You need the mustard seed, but don't start cursing yourself all the time. And, and it's like blessing and cursing fresh water, salt water, and you start pouring salt water on a seed. And if you pour salt water on a seed, you know what happens? That thing's going to die. You're not going to see it bear fruit. I wrote in my notes, and I, I don't have a lot of time to go through all these, but there are ways that our prayers are hindered. And I wrote down seven ways our prayers are hindered. A lack of love or a lack of generosity in our lives. Proverbs 21, 13, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Wow. <laughs> God hates selfishness. So speaking of number two, pride and selfishness can hinder your prayers. James 4, 3, when you pray for things, you don't get them because you want them for the wrong reason for your own pleasure. Number three, unbelief and doubt. Hebrews eleven six. it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And James 4, verse 2 says, you have not because you ask not. There's a lot of people who aren't receiving God's help, deliverance from all trouble in this context of what we're talking about tonight because you haven't asked yet. Spurgeon said, Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. <laughs> Four, fourth thing that can hinder your prayers, disobedience. Proverbs 10, 24, what the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When you're living righteously before God, he will answer your prayers. But when you're not living righteous, when you're living in evil ways, wicked ways, and by the way, any way that's not of him is an evil, wicked way, no matter how okay it looks or how okay culture says it is. And people who aren't living in God's ways, what they fear will come upon them and their prayers will not be answered. The fifth thing that can hinder your prayers, unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The, the New Living Translation says that if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Why is confession important? One of the reasons is what you're saying is, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> and as long as you hold it in, there's part of you that's cherishing that. And, and you wrestle. There's a wrestling match inside of you. You're like, oh, I don't want to keep falling into this. But you're not willing to do what it takes to get it out or to get rid of it. 
And so you keep the wrestling match, and then, and then when you're alone or at an opportune time and when you think it won't matter or won't have consequences, you're like, you know what, I'm going to do it again. And you're cherishing that in your heart. And the word of God says, if you cherish sin in your heart, God's not going to listen. That's why when you come up to receive Christ, when you pray to receive him, it's like, I'm, I'm renouncing the world. I'm renouncing my sins. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I'm done. I love Rob's testimony tonight. He's like, I'm done. He's like, I'm ready. This is my night. I'm like, yes, man. All right. Sixth thing that will hinder your prayers. Being disrespectful, dishonoring to other people, but especially to your own family members. Whoa, can hinder your prayers. Where are you getting that at? First Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. Did you catch that, wives? It's not just for husbands. In the same way, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Sometimes the Bible's not hard to understand. How many of you have tried to pray after arguing with your spouse? And it's hard to pray. You know what I'm saying? It's not like just, I pray, but you, you were not being considerate with your spouse, so God's not going to live. No, it's like, when there is a spirit of resentment and offense in your life, it is hard to pray. Your prayers are being hindered by your own resentment and offense. So the Lord's like, be considerate as you live with people. And and the context really is, especially people who are weaker than you, people that you have authority over, people you can bulldoze. You better be really careful how you treat people. Because it can hinder your prayers. To hinder means to delay or to keep from happening. And the seventh thing I wrote down that can hinder your prayers is unforgiveness. Mark 11, 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone that your father who is in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Whoa. That's called accountability. God wants his kids to be like him. And he's like, you can't be hating everybody else and expecting God to forgive you. And so these things will hinder your prayers. So we need to, we need to stay away from these things. They can hinder, right? These are some of the ways that we pour salt water on the little mustard seed we have. But I'm telling you, if you will avoid those things, if you will just... Whew, Believe just a little, just enough to keep pouring a little more faith, a little more. I'm just going to pray again. I'm going to ask one more time. And listen, let me tell you this. I want to encourage you tonight because some of you are, there's conviction in the room. As I went through that list, you're like, oh, I I think I've done all seven of those. (laughs) So have I. At, At some point in my life, I've done all seven of those at some point. But here's the beauty of God, the grace of God. Just repent. You know that communion prayer every week. 
This is not a time to feel shame. It's a time to receive fresh grace. And if you feel shame, Lord, please forgive me. God, I need this. I'm going to take this believing you're giving me fresh grace today because you're repentant in your heart. So all you have to do is repent and renounce that. I'm so sorry, God. I don't want to do this anymore. Would you please help me? And God will listen. So he encourages us to live in the fear of God, to be people of prayer, because there's things that can hinder your prayers. But listen to what he says is true if we will do that. Starting in verse 15 there. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. You know, the Lord opposes the proud. If you live in proud ways, if you live in evil ways, it's not like God just doesn't answer your prayers. He actually opposes you. (laughs) And you're not going to win that battle, by the way. But he shows grace and favor to the humble. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. This is the point where I want to remind you what I said at the beginning. How are we considered righteous? Because some of you read this scripture. You hear this scripture tonight. You're going, yeah, but I'm not righteous. I know what I did last night. I I said a worker's today, pastor. I'm not righteous. I was smoking a joint before I came in here. I'm not righteous. Your righteousness does not come from you. You're not made right with God. To be made right is to be justified. The word justified, here's an easy way to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. You're justified. It's like you go to court and you know you're guilty and you know you have all, the, oh, I'm going to prison. That's, it's a done deal. And they make a plea deal with you. Blood of Jesus over your life. Guess what? You're justified. You're made right. You owe the system. You owe society nothing. And you're free. No consequences. Go live your life. That's the righteousness of Christ on you. Well, what if I just sin? Repent. Right now, as you're sitting, listening to me in your seat, repent. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. Guess what? Imputed righteousness. <sighs> Washed away. If you're sincere, if you're still living in sin, if you're in pride, then you're not right with God. You're not, you're, this will not apply to you. But if you're like, I want this. I, Lord, I want your eyes on me, God. I want you watching over me. Then just turn to him in your heart and say, God, Please, I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it your way. Be humble tonight. Turn towards him tonight. The eyes of the Lord, listen, are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. There it is. So David set it up. He delivered me 
from all my troubles with the testimony. But guess what? If you will get right with God, he will deliver you from all your trouble. Not just from all your sin, church. So you go to heaven. If you'll get right with God, you get an advocate in your life. If you want to know what I was saying over Logan here as I was getting ready to baptize him, I said, do you renounce your sins in the world? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. I said, Jesus is coming into you right now. His Holy Spirit is coming into you. You have the Spirit of Jesus in you, which means this, Logan. The rest of your life, when you move on from here, if you ever find yourself in a dark, lonely moment, if you find yourself in some trouble, Jesus is there with you, and all you have to do is call on him, and he will come to your aid. He will come to your rescue. And that's true for every person that has professed Christ as Lord in this place tonight, which is most of the people in this place tonight. The righteous cry out. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. It's, we've, we've gotten right with God by saying, I'm not right. I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. Now you're considered righteous. God says, there's no one Righteous, not even one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death and hell. That is absolutely true. I'm getting some good old Baptist preaching in me tonight. It's absolutely true. None of us deserves it. And God has made this, this is me summarizing a whole lot of Bible. The only people God considers righteous are those who are willing to admit I'm not righteous. And I need Jesus. And God goes, I like that. Now somebody's being honest. And boom, I give you the righteousness of Christ. So the righteous, those who've gotten right with God, who've confessed, I need Jesus. They cry out and the Lord hears those people. The Lord doesn't hear perfect people. He hears those who've called upon the name of Jesus, who've turned from sin and know that they need help. And he hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is close. Listen to me, church. This is so good. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We were praying over somebody last night. And she said she had a broken heart. And the, my immediate first thought was like, oh, that's so good. Because that means the Lord is so close to you right now. Verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. There's our promise we're talking about. So I looked up that word all in Hebrew. Do you know what it means? It means all. Specifically, though, all, the whole of, any, each, every, anything, the totality of everything. All your trouble. Whew. I looked, amen, let's go. I looked up the Hebrew word for the word trouble there. Do you know what that word can mean or be translated as? 
bad, evil, disagreeable, unpleasant, displeasing, the worst, sad, happy, grief, loss in relation to thoughts, deeds, actions, circumstances surrounding you, things that happen to you. It's a comprehensive word, meaning anything bad or negative that you find yourself in or that comes into your life. All the whole of totality, everything he will deliver you out of all the trouble you ever find yourself in. The eyes of the Lord are on you tonight. He's watching over you. He is the God who sees me as Hagar said he was. His eyes are on you. His eyes are on you. He sees when people mistreat you. You know, Abraham was God's man. Sarah was God's man's wife. And when another king tried to marry Sarah and take her from Abraham, God came to him and said, you're as good as dead, bro. (laughs) That's the modern urban translation. But he did say, you're as good as dead. That's how God is watching over them. Now, God's people aren't always perfect. And Abraham and Sarah mistreated Hagar. They treated her terribly. They misused her. And then when she got pregnant, which was their plan, by the way, not her idea, then the one whose idea it was gets mad and upset and wants Abraham to make her leave. So he does. So now she's out on her own about ready to die. And she's done nothing wrong. And she's probably feeling real dejected. Well, I'm not God's man. I'm not God's man's wife. I'm not like the man of great faith, Abraham. It's probably not going to happen for me. And God comes to her and goes, oh, no, 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 no. I see you. I'm going to provide for you. And that child that you have, oh, he's going to grow and become a nation, uh, many nations, actually. And I'm going to bless him as well. And she said, I've seen the God who sees me. I've seen the God who sees me. Oh, God, open their eyes tonight. Open our eyes. Open our eyes, God, to see the God who sees us. Open our eyes to see you seeing us. Open our eyes, God, to see you seeing us tonight. He watches over us. And this verse right here is so good. His his ears are attentive to your cry. Now, when we were starting this church probably seven, eight years ago, my wife and I had a small group meeting in our house, and it was a bunch of married, young married couples. We all had young kids, like, birth through, I don't know, third grade or so at that time. And our house was, it was all hardwood floors, and it, you could hear everything in this house. So we're meeting in the living room, and all the kids are in the two rooms upstairs directly above us. And so the whole, the whole group time, we're just hearing stomping, and it's like a herd of elephants up there. We're hearing stuff. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of like this serious talking about Jesus group. You know, it's a really serious moment. We hear this loud crash. I mean, something like a dresser or something crazy happened, fell over. Boom! And we all just go, and you wait, right? And then we heard it. And we're like, oh no, some kid is hurt. And I'm talking like it was a second or two, but we all just sat there listening. And I remember looking around, and I remember thinking, that's not my kid. And I was looking around at the other parents, and I saw three or four couples going, 
And, I, and then my eyes landed on this one mother and she was going. And she pops up and she runs upstairs and guess what? It was her kid. And it was sometime later I read this verse. And the Lord, like, you remember that? You human beings, in all your humility, <laughs> just a room full of human beings, when they hear a toddler cry out, when there's probably 10, 12 toddlers up there in that, in that room, you hear this toddler cry out, you all look around at each other, and you can tell by the sound of the cry who it is and whose it is. And every parent in there is like, not mine, or, uh-huh, that's mine. How? By the sound of the cry. Did you ever see that penguin movie about the penguins and how they mate and how they go off and then they come back and some stay behind and one stays behind with the egg between the legs and they're just like, and they stay in a big circle and they like rotate who's on the outside so they don't freeze to death and it's over many months and then the other parent comes back and they come back to this crowd and they're just like, and I mean, you're listening to this and it just sounds like, and they can tell by the which mama is theirs and which little baby is theirs once it hatches. That's crazy. And yet we humans do that too. When we're in a group and we hear a kid cry out, oh, that ain't mine, that's mine. The Lord's ears are attentive to your cry, your cry. And when he hears you cry out, he goes, that's Troy. Troy's mine. And what's he do? He jumps up and he goes running. When he hears Logan cry out, he's like, that's Logan. I'm going. Logan's mine. Logan accepted me. Rob accepted me. That's mine. And he goes running. God doesn't promise when people who don't know him cry out and they lament about the world and they're like, oh, my life is horrible. Oh, and God's like, that's not mine. They're not calling on my name. But anyone who calls on his name, he goes, I'll consider you mine. <laughs> I'm coming. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. What does that mean he's near? You know, you can be in the room right now with some of your kids. I'm in the room right now with some of my kids, but I'm not very near them. But if one of them fell because I'm preaching so long off their seat, and got hurt and started crying. <laughs> That's mine. And what would I do when my ears become attentive to their cry? I would go running. And I would draw near to them in a special way when they need me in a greater way. I've been in worship services with hundreds, sometimes thousands of Christians who are begging God to come near. And it's like, man, I don't know. They're... Maybe we're asking with wrong motives. He's just not drawing near tonight. I don't know what it is. You're like, I've been in those settings. I've been in those rooms. I've been in those services before. But I've been to a whole lot of funerals. And the vast majority, if not every funeral I've been to, I walk in and I'm like, the Lord is in this place and nobody's even asking. Why is that? Because he has a way. He goes, they need me. 
They're crying out. I hear their tears. He heard Hagar crying. And that's what drew him to her. One of our prophetic artists made me a painting a few years ago. And it was God's hands like this. And it was like a waterfall coming down into him. And then it was like a waterfall going out of him. And she ended up giving it to me. She gave me an encouraging word. She said, the Lord says, I've seen Aaron's tears. I've seen Aaron's tears. And I'm like, oh, wow. He hears my cry. His ears are attentive to me. This is for me tonight. Thank you, Jesus. And he has a special way of drawing near when we call upon his name. And it's not about you being perfect. You don't have to be perfect to see him answer your prayers or to deliver you out of every trouble in your life. You're made right with God when you turn from sin and you call upon Jesus. And it's that simple. How many of you know someone who came to saving faith when they were in a deep moment of trouble that was like their own fault? Yes, a lot of people in this room. So if we know that's true as Christians, if you're here tonight and you've got some shame on you, why would you think, well, he doesn't listen to me and I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough for him. I'm not doing the fullness of what he wants. And we carry all this shame around. We carry all this guilt and pressure around. We think maybe he's not listening. Maybe he doesn't hear my prayers like he hears other people's prayers. And I'm saying that is not the spirit of God. Spirit of dejection, leave this place now in Jesus' name. Leave these people now in Jesus' name. Spirit of discouragement, leave now in Jesus' name. Just come off these people in Jesus' name. I want to pray for you tonight as we close. I just want to pray over you. And then I felt led to give a kind of a special invitation. And... And then when we're done with all that, you know, you can just come up and receive prayer for anything from our ministry team. Um, But let's pray. I'm going to go to God in prayer, and then I'm going to give a special invitation. God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to see you seeing us, your affectionate gaze. I pray you would help us to find your smile, to see your smile, God. And God, if there's anything between us, us and you as a church family, us and you as individuals tonight, any veils that are keeping us from seeing that this is true for me, would you just remove those right now, Jesus? If there's any demonic presence causing that, would you just make it leave right now, Jesus, please? (sighs) So just the spirit of unbelief, doubt, derision, dejection, discouragement, depression. Just leave now in Jesus' name. Hopelessness, despair, heaviness, leave now in Jesus' name. So we thank you, God. We thank you, God. And Lord, I pray that you would give us faith. I pray you give us faith that this is for us, that if we ask, you will answer and you will deliver us from every trouble that we come into in our lives. 
no matter what kind of trouble it is. Financial troubles, you're there. You will deliver us from them. Health troubles, you're there. You will deliver us from them. Mental troubles, you're there. You will deliver us from them. Emotional troubles, you're there. You'll deliver us from them. A broken heart, you're there. You'll deliver us from them. Thank you, God. (sighs) Relational troubles, you're there. You will deliver us from them. Troubles with our kids, troubles with our jobs, troubles with our callings. You're there. You will deliver us out of those troubles. Your word says you'll deliver us out of them. It doesn't say that you'll help us avoid getting into any troubles in our lives. No, no, no. Once we're in them, when the trouble comes, we call on you, you answer, you move, you deliver.